0: Welcome inside the PGP, the permission-granted podcast, the show about the show, the show within the show. We appreciate you every single week listening to the podcast, which surrounds the normal DA show podcast of the show itself, the best of the show. And this week, also included with it, a WrestleMania preview and recap from Pete the Body of So you can always subscribe by going to radio.com or Apple Podcast or Stitcher and Spotify and hit, hitting subscribe. Also, you can get this on the normal DA show, iTunes feeds, and Apple podcast feeds as well. So, Baraz joins me now for Side A, and I have to say that this was the most emotional and volatile episode of Get Your Popcorn Ready, The Mothership at the Movies that we have had in the three weeks we've been doing it. Why do you think that this movie, in, it inspired us for so many emotional responses?
1: Well, I think there's it's twofold, the answer there. The first one is, the first two movies we did was college basketball, and a lot of the basketball aspects uh, revolved around recruiting and a lot of the off-the-field-while-still-being-basketball-reference stuff. And also, we still saw college basketball this year, so I think that piggybacked us. Now, you combine that with the fact that we are delayed on seeing baseball, we are hungry for baseball, so last night was the first time I really got to sit and stick my teeth into real baseball, so to speak. So I think that caused some emotion, and uh, just in general, the on-the-field, I mean, baseball warrants itself to on-the-field decision-making and being scrutinized, and we had the plenty of ability to do that with this movie.
0: Well, that's a good point. That's a really good point, that managerial decisions and the chess game of what to do in each situation, that that's really good for Sports Talk Breakdown. I think also... The flavor of the movie was so ridiculous that they didn't care about realism so much. Oh, boy, and that real that really helps what we do. You know, Blue Chips and He Got Game were striving for realism, specifically Blue Chips. They were looking to be here to the backhanded story, the backdoor story of how this thing goes on. When it's Rookie of the Year, nobody in their right mind ever thinks that this could happen which lends itself to really being able to rip it to shreds if it were real sports decisions. So I think it might have taught us a lesson. The more ridiculous the sports movie, the better the segment is.
1: I agree with that. So that's something, again, we should keep looking toward. And I do think Happy Gilmore will provide some of that next week.
0: Yes. So next week we're going to do Happy Gilmore for Masters Week. Was there anything that was left on the cutting room floor that you wanted to get to when it came to Rookie of the Year?
1: Yes, yeah, so specifically because you ran out of time on the ending. The movie ends, D.A., Rookie of the Year, with a very nice scene where now Henry, after blowing out his arm, is back to his right field job with the Chicago Pirates of whatever Little League. And their new manager, not calling kids' names, is Chet Stetman. Stepman now has since retired. He's going to take over coaching Little League, all right, right. which is fine. I have no – it's a nice scene. But the movie ends with the – with Roan Gardner making an unbelievable catch, he's figured out his defensive problems that he used to have in Little League, and he sticks his fist up in the air as the team celebrates, and he's wearing a Cubs World Series ring. Now, right. when they win that division title game, we don't see what happens in the World Series. That wasn't really a point of the movie, but we do know two important facts here, D.A. Henry Rowan Gardner has lost it, so much so that he needs to run two trick plays and a floater to get out of an inning. There is no way he ever steps foot in the World Series on a mound. He just wouldn't be able to do that. And Chet Stepman, seemingly their only reliable starting pitcher, has also blown out his arm. Uh So you mean to tell me the Cubs, who have been cursed forever, get to the World Series versus whoever they have would have had to play in the American League in this movie. And and without their ace and without I I can only assume based on the fact that they needed him for three innings in the winner-go-home game and the fact that they had nobody else that could warm up on the bullpen. Their best bullpen arm and best ace, they somehow find a way to win the World Series? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How is that possible?
0: It's virtually impossible especially considering the whole reason the Cubs went on the run was because of Henry and Rowan Gardner they were in right. last place or floating around mediocrity 500 people in the stands nobody's coming to the games you've got to imagine that without Henry Rowan Gardner they're nothing they then go on this rem- remarkable run get to the World Series Rowan Gardner's done again and they lose Stedman it, it it's a bum team it's a bum it's- team with a bum manager Hey, and Who? deflating, da emotionally deflating. Imagine showing up to Game One of the World Series. You don't have your two best players. Basically, it's devastating. Yes, come on, it's devastating. So, but I guess it was a Cinderella run. Maybe they began believing in themselves during that run.
1: I, I, I find unless it it's very, a
0: severely underachieving team before Henry gets there. Okay.
1: So maybe it's severely underachieving. I think this brings me to my other part of this that I kind of, you know, as we talked about Bogus' movie problems, this is both a movie and a baseball problem. What did their NL East or National League look like, that that team wasn't drawing flies and so bad that they could make up that big of a difference by simply adding a closer in the final seven weeks of the season? Because they didn't win every game. I mean, it's baseball. They had to have lost some games. So how bad a league was it? And then if that is how bad the league was and how bad the Cubs were, how bad was the American League that their champion could then lose to a Cubs team without Stettman and without Rowan Gardner? That's a bad year for baseball.
0: It's true, although in 93, that was the height of the Blue Jays' dynasty or mini-dynasty. They're back-to-back. They won in 92 and 93, so hard to imagine that a Cinderella Cubs team can survive the National League East floating around 500 or below get to the World Series, minus their two best arms, their starter, their ace, and their closer, and finds a way to upset the Blue Jays. Right.
1: Who's getting Joe Carter out? They had nobody to get anybody out of that Mets lineup. They had to run trick plays. Who's getting Joe Carter out?
0: And we learn that is a disastrous manager, an absolute so disaster. And so no how and coach. How did he manage his way? How does a team with a bum manager who's scared of the ninth inning of game 163 doesn't even know the Mets batting lineup. How does that guy without a pitching coach win the World Series?
1: And that to me is the real travesty that we did not get a Rookie of the Year 2 or some kind of extra 45 minutes of this movie. To I wanted to see how Sal Martinella navig- navigated his way through a World Series. To me, that becomes a far more important storyline than the kid throwing the seed from the center field bleachers and becoming a pitcher. How did they? I need the World Series film. How did they win the World Series?
0: In our factoids about the movie during advanced analytics, Cap dug up the 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 nugget that they are looking at a reboot. How would you reboot this? Would Henry Rhone kid then have the same this. thing happen?
1: I hate when they do this. It's the same thing as Fuller House, and off the top of my head, I can't come up. But they do this all the time, where they take something. I think they're doing it right now with Emilio Estevez on Disney Plus with like Mighty Ducks, where he's back as an old man coaching more kids. Why? This is like you with the Pucks creamsicle uniforms. Everything is nostalgic and vintage. We don't need to go back. We don't need it. I don't need a Henry Rowan-Gorton son now. What, he's going to break his arm and pitch for the White Sox? We don't need that.
0: I have to say that for all of the talent in Henry's arm, the guy's brutal in terms of tripping on baseballs. I mean, oh, every single baseball he finds he trips on.
1: He's a klutz. And see, that's another part of of why his path to the major leagues has some holes. Who is who's honing his defensive game? You know, part of pitching, and even he, early in one of his first outings, he covers his face with a glove as he throws a double play ball. The kid couldn't field a lick, and this is why he broke his arm to begin with. Now, with no trip to Des Moines to maybe play for the Cubs AAA affiliate, he's stepping up on a major league mound, and he's never getting a comebacker to the mound and having to figure out how to field the position? Come on.
0: Well, I didn't like how the Cubs also threw him into the first game without ever having him do a simulation game, no bullpen sessions, right. no nothing. I mean, they had no idea whether he could even find the mound or find the plate, rather. That I had a problem with. I had a big problem with how the Cubs used a young arm, a young impressionable arm.
1: It was all about selling tickets, and clearly they just there was no depth on that roster. Which again, how are you winning a World Series with no depth when these guys go down?
0: So this leads me to believe that we need more ridiculous sports movies like The Air Up There or <laughs> the one with Matt LeBlanc and the and the chimpanzee on the baseball team. <laughs> believe that's
1: Ed Ed I Ed.
0: We need more of these, Mister Baseball, Mister Three Thousand. These I think are the types of 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 movies that we need.
1: Yeah, Mr. 3,000 is a really good one. I caught that a couple weeks ago. That's where Bernie Mac comes out of retirement to try to get three hits (laughs) to get the 3,000. Boy, there's a lot of baseball we could break down in that movie. (laughs)
0: And also, I think Little Big League is obvious where the kid oh. takes over as the owner of the twins.
1: Yeah, Little Big League, I think his name was uh, Billy Hayward or Billy Hay, something like that. And that came out around the same time as Rookie of the Year. They were kind of rival movies. Right. Rookie of the Year and Little Big League. It was kind of like the Backstreet Boys and In Sync. You had to choose which mm-hmm. one you liked mm-hmm. better. And you-, you were either a Little Big League guy or a Rookie of the Year guy. I know Pete the Body is a Little Big League guy. Mm. I always felt I was more of a Little Big League guy. And now, mm. after rewatching Rookie of the Year, I can see why. I think little big. I bet you if we get to little big league, little big league is way more realistic than rookie of the year.
0: And you think that's why you liked
1: it? I do because I'm looking for real. When I'm watching sports, I'm, I want real sports. And I, my again, the twins having a kid become the owner because of you know a written something written in a will is far more plausible to me yeah. than a kid coming out of the bleachers at 12 years old to become the closer of the Cubs.
0: Yeah. Also, who's allowing their bunch of twelve year olds to get on a boat and all get together and be sailing Good out point. in the middle of a lake. I mean, that's a pretty dangerous thing for their parents to let these kids do.
1: Very dangerous, especially a boat that they fix themselves with. They, no, they basically built yeah. Right. No mechanic ability whatsoever and the chips and stuff aren't getting soggy. And also on those kids, I can't believe we're going to this rabbit hole. I mean yeah, I have notes for days. These kids walk up to Wrigley Field when they show up for that game. Like, they've never seen Wrigley Field in their life. Now, maybe that is their first time, but I don't know. I I, I think if you've been to Cubs games and you've grown up, you don't keep showing up to the ballpark, go, whoa, it's Wrigley Field. Like, I don't know. Was this their first game ever? They're still doing it later on. When they show up for them to play, like, oh, wow, we're at Wrigley Field. You just were there. That's how he got signed. What are we so surprised by the stadium for?
0: I have to say, Bogish is good. I feel like I I know how to, to run the segment. Bilotti's good. You're great at this. The fact that you can get so wound up over Martinella's managing oh, is just side splittingly funny.
1: Yeah, you know, maybe maybe there's a way next week where I can, you know, live stream you watching this, because I kid you not. You think this is this might be a radio stick. I mean, I sat last night in my, uh, in the AMC, AM Maraz theater and watched this movie, and I had curse words flying out of my mouth at a movie I was watching on Disney. Plus. I couldn't, I was appalled by some of the decisions. Appalled. And now, then the only time I said, I even, I even yelled up to, uh, Danielle. I said, Daniel, you wouldn't believe Martin Nell is actually head of the game here. He knows to go to Roll Garden in the seventh. High leverage. He was thinking high leverage outs. He wasn't saving for the ninth.
0: <laughs> so, You know, I feel like Schwartz always has to make an appearance in every PGP. We talked about this earlier in the (laughs) week that Schwartz posted a picture on Twitter of a bag of deflated Arena Football League footballs. And we kind of tried to theorize where these came from. At first... I thought they were AAF balls. And I'm like, oh, my God, he got to an equipment manager with the Alliance and got all their old footballs. <laughs> uh, I think no, they sold are... all those balls to the <laughs> XFL. Yeah. These are AFL footballs. These are Arena League footballs. Now, he he did play-by-play of the New York Dragons in, what, '02, Something
1: like that? I mean, it was multiple years. I think he did the entire Dragons run, and they were around for, I think, five years.
0: Okay, so I— I would imagine that there's been no arena football. Well, the, the league folded in 08. So I don't know how long the Dragons made it in.
1: Did they though? I feel like a couple years ago they had a three-team league where the Philadelphia Soul and Jaworski's team was still winning.
0: Oh, that's true. We've talked about that in the air. There was like yes. a four-team league. Yeah, the Baltimore. Right. That's but true. I think
1: I think the AAF as we knew it, as far as like multiple teams, multiple cities ended in 08.
0: And definitely the Dragons haven't been around since 08.
1: Without without question. Yeah, because so, I was definitely going to games like oh five oh six for sure. Okay,
0: so do you think that bag of footballs that he got was from the original Dragons run when like the Dragons folded and he said, I'll take all of the footballs from the equipment room? Or do you think it's from like the last two years and when it finally folded again, he took all those footballs off their hands?
1: No, I think he got them a long time ago. I think the last baggy clean out and stuff and he just deflated them, put them away. Uh, and saved him for, I guess, today would be the rainy day.
0: Okay, so I, I really want to crawl into Schwartz's head here. Why do you think he has such a fetish with equipment like this? He has collected ball, He He admitted in this post that the balls don't inflate anymore because the bladders are too old. So he has uninflatable arena football footballs, multiple. I mean, there's a garbage bag full of them. He has however many foul balls, however many pucks, however many free lacrosse balls. He can't stop. So what do you think this is within Schwartz that he is desperate to collect all of these things?
1: Well, maybe there's some kind of game to it. Like he posted yesterday, he made some kind of now Billy Joel collage with all his old ticket stubs and a picture of Billy Joel where I think he thinks these things have value. And my guess would be, and I'm really trying to climb inside Schwartz's psyche here because I've talked to Pete a lot. I've been in car rides with him. I've been to his house. Pete had a very good, strong relationship, as we all do, with our father, and he got a lot of like his sports memories and stuff from his father and everything, and he would always reference certain things that his father had and passed on to him, whether they be baseballs and stuff like that, and I think Schwartz maybe wants to tap into that and have as much as possible to give his children... When that unfortunate day comes to be like, oh, wow, I remember when dad did this or look at all the cool things dad did and dad took me to this. And I I really think there's a deeper thing here with Schwartz and his kids and his memorabilia and tying it in and feeling like this is what he's going to give them of value. When in essence, from afar, we all look at it, realize there's absolutely no value to any of this.
0: So that's interesting. It certainly could be. I mean, anything that's connected to parents passing or old nostalgic memories of your parents or your family or your friends, I could totally understand that being powerful. But he's also encouraging his kids to take like four lacrosse balls from a Long Island Lizards game. Yes.
1: and that's why I'm not trying to paint this as a sob story with Peter Schwartz. I'm just trying to climb into where Peter Schwartz might be coming from, and now we could go for where he went way afray with this <laughs> because it's a, it's a disaster. This four those four lacrosse. Wh- that's the point. If something down the line happens 40 years from now, and Jared Schwartz is sitting there and goes with one lacrosse ball. I remember this day, wow, daddy's taking me all these Lizards games. He's not going to break out all four lacrosse balls, and you would think his seemingly, you know, significant other, wife, or whoever, he's not going to come out and go, wow, that's awesome. Your dad got you four lacrosse balls. Or she's going to go, you're going to throw that crap out or
0: get it in the garage. <laughs> you're a hoarder.
1: Hey, also, now you just brought this up. Could I just read one text message I got from my mother yesterday? Sure, yeah. I certainly hope that Peter Schwartz is doing something with all this bleep he keeps bleeping finding. Oh. My response, he isn't. My mom, he has saved everything. WTF is wrong with this guy. That's it. That's where she left it. That was my so to my Nancy
0: mom. Mraz even knows there's a limit because right. she's defended Schwartz in the past.
1: She has so and this is just from her being Facebook friends with Schwartz. So think about you on Twitter. Oh wow! Twitter so this stuff. is not
0: from her listening to the show.
1: No, this is strictly their Facebook friends. Oh. She happens to think Pete's a nice guy. So mind you, yesterday, this is while we're talking about this all consuming. Yesterday, I have not seen my mother almost a month now because of this pandemic. She's not seen her granddaughter. It's it's wild times. We're all sad. We all miss each other. Her check-in with me yesterday it was not a how are you doing it was not how is danielle doing it was not how is taylor doing it was not even how is eli doing it was not even how we're this is how we're feeling back here it was what the bleep is peter schwartz doing with all this crap that was her checking in during the pandemic so you saying i hate to make the pgp about him this is he's suffocating people's lives during this pandemic right now with all the social media stuff
0: do you find that danielle is more? less or equal annoyed by you living with you every day without you going to work. It,
1: is, it goes in absolute waves there. Okay. We go. The, so it's so funny because she's <laughs> the most annoyed I've ever seen her at me has been during this pandemic, but also the most like nice she's ever been to me has been during this pandemic. So she is, you know, we're all handling this a different way. She is teeter, She's got a lot of highs and a lot of lows and most <laughs> of it centers around me. Um, she, Blatantly cursed out myself, the dog, and the baby two nights ago. I think it was Sunday night. She had enough of all of us. The baby was crying because she wanted to eat. The dog was barking and biting the new vacuum she got, uh, and I was doing something that she didn't like. And we all got to talk it through. And she said, "I'm taking a walk." And she talked. You know, we're trying to take the dogs for a walk and the baby walk. She took a walk by herself. So there's definitely been the noise. But then there's been some, hey, you know, on a, on a weekend, hey, you you know, do you want me to do this? What do you want me to make for dinner? Oh, that's nice. Is you know, can you do this? Do you want to? W-? I don't know she's being nice she's asking me to do things because she knows i'm the only human here basically she can do stuff but when she's ticked oh, the the annoyance levels unlike anything i've ever seen
0: yeah i i could do hours on quarantine culture here because
1: you deal with the same
0: yeah yeah i think i think when you live together and you can only see one another in the middle of this kind of fear and this anxiety that you have as, as um, just a society, you tend to appreciate the people that you're closest to. So, you know, my wife and I or my, my family, my direct family, even you guys on the show, like I really this forces you to really appreciate the people that you have close right. to you because those are the people close to you and you care about them. But then there's also too close for comfort. And so it snaps back and forth where because they're the only people around, you get super annoyed by them. Oh, yeah. And I think that uh, the Bourbon Belle has done this a couple of times where because I'm the only person she sees every day now for a month that, you know, it's like, oh my God, I'm so sick of you. Oh, this is so annoying, you know? But then it flips back into like, we appreciate one another so much. So I think that this must be what a lot of people are dealing with. Like, I have to think that marriages... Oh. are on really thin ice throughout all of this. And if you're in just a relationship, like I have a friend of mine who lives with his girlfriend, two of them oh. actually, you're not even married, this has got to be a make or break. No
1: question. If you survive this and you love each other after this, you get married. If not, this is the breakup. You will see a lot of single people this summer. You and you
0: can't move out right now. <laughs> you, no.
1: You've got to bite your tongue on a lot of yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's totally it's totally out there and totally plausible. And, you know, it's I I've made a point every week and we've talked about this on the air. I order from a local restaurant, drinks, food. I want to make sure that that's something that uh, is it, very important to me. I, I like the local businesses around me and I want to keep them climbing a lot of the places I like visiting. But I can't imagine a scenario this summer where Danielle and I look at each other and say, well, let's go out to the eat with each other. I mean, so it's so right? yeah. we've had every meal with each other here. Like, even, you know, when you think of, like, breakfast or even, like, lunch, if I'm eating at work or on the train or something, like every meal. I am so tired of watching her chew. I'm so tired of it. So, like, the moment I could go out to a restaurant or a bar, like, I'm going with friends. Like, and I'm sure she'll tell me, please go. And if she tells me I'm having a ladies' night, I'm going to, like, please go. I don't think that her and I will share a meal out at a restaurant on a date night until at least... <laughs> Three months after we're cleared to go out, at least. And also, we keep doing all this stuff to our backyard. She wants to make the house nice. It's great. You know, we're, we're taking on some do-it-yourself projects. She's doing a great job in this other room, Put this flooring down. I mean, we've been building this bar I've told you about. The moment this ends, I'm not going to want to be here to enjoy any of it. Well, who the hell wants to spend time in my yard? I just spent every day in my yard. Now it's done. And she, I'm not spending any
0: time here. I'm out. Come on. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm sick of looking at her chew. That's an all-timer right I here.
1: am. Oh, everything. Just that. And then she'll look at me. What, what's, what are you mad at? What am I mad at? I'm sitting in the same pair of sweatpants and same Rangers jersey from 1943. I just want to leave the house. That's what I'm mad at.
0: All right. Very good. That was side. <laughs> All right, so welcome into Side B of the PGP. After Moraz, now, Bogus joins me. And uh, Bogus, we were just talking with Moraz about quarantine life with a spouse and how it's kind of a push and pull emotionally where you really appreciate the people close to you throughout all of this because there's a lot of fear and anxiety on the outside and you fear for, you know, health, et cetera. But then there's also the annoyance because you're with the same people every single day. How is everything uh, holding up in your neck of the woods? Well, luckily,
2: I mean, I'm a little different than Sean at this point since, you know, my kids are a little more self-sufficient than young Taylor. So, like, we're re- we're kind of able to spread out a little bit and not constantly be in each other's ways. And, you know, my kids can play on their own. They've got schoolwork. My wife has her own job, so she needs to be off sometimes in solitude or goes out for a run or whatever. So it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not too bad. There are days like any other day where, like, it's a long day, and um, but you know the weather helps. We've been outside a lot the last couple of days, kind of spreading our, our wings as well. So um, it's not been any really any different than it normally would be. I'm annoying; they're annoying, and some days we have <laughs> some some
0: days are worse than others. Mraz says he's sick of seeing Danielle Chew at this point.
2: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think. Um, I don't think we're at that point just yet.
0: Okay. I I'm not quite at that point yet as well, but I do think the Bourbon Belle is kind of routinely annoyed by me because I'm the only person she sees daily besides the cat.
2: Right. Yeah. See, again, you're in a tough spot too. It's just the two of you. You're in the middle of nowhere, and it's and you know, so it's it it can be taxing. We there's some variety. There's four of us,
0: uh, <laughs> so there's some
2: there's some variety here. We can so pair yeah. off and yeah. do our own thing.
0: <laughs> you can pick your partner for the day. Exactly. <laughs> Was there anything in the Rookie of the Year breakdown that we didn't get to that you wanted to get to?
2: Um, I don't. I don't. I mean, just a general thing. What really makes me angry, like, as a sports fan with sports <laughs> movies, is like I feel like when when other movies are made that are like are topical. Like you hear about, you know. Keanu Reeves is like a crazy-ass, like, mixed martial arts guy now, like a gun expert because he was in The Matrix, and he wanted to learn how to – and he wanted to make sure it looked good. And, you know, guys go to, like, fake Navy SEAL training in Hell Week when they're going to be a Navy SEAL in a movie. Like, they do all of these different things to make sure the movie looks legitimate. But then when we get to sports movies, it's like (laughs) that thought goes out the window. Like, wasn't Shoeless Joe Jackson, like, the wrong hand in – In in Field of Dreams. I forget. I think he's left handed in real life and was right handed in the movie. You know, in Rookie of the Year, they got a guy pitching with a batting glove in his back pocket. (laughs) It feels like that West Coast road trip you mentioned not only went from like LA to St. Louis to Pittsburgh to New York, but they only played one game in every city, not three or four per. The, The division championship, right to the World Series, John Candy not being in a booth. Like these are all little things that you would think like a baseball consultant would have pointed out and goes, this is not really how things go, guys. But when it comes to sports, they just don't give you know what about like reality. And they make the stories hard to believe sometimes.
0: It makes you wonder if we're so tapped into sports that the way these sports movies go is how normal people look at sports. Like they don't look at John Candy and go, well, why is he not in a press box? Why is he talking with no headphones on in the middle of a billion clacking typewriters? <laughs> right. And and why why does a West Coast road trip include a trip to Pittsburgh? <laughs> so I guess maybe normal people don't look at it like we do. Well, even like even with our friends that are like news colleagues, I mean, we've all seen the stories
2: where like they're talking about the LA Dodgers, but they put up an LA Kings logo because they like don't know the difference between those <laughs> two things. Or you know, anytime that sports, are even on like on Jeopardy, you've got people on Jeopardy who know so much about things they don't need to know about. Yeah. But then when you ask them a sports question, it's like their brain melts <laughs> and they have no idea. They can't pronounce a name. Like it's just it's it's remarkable that somehow our little neck of the of the woods gets so like disrespected sometimes by really smart professional people.
0: One I think in terms of the three movies we've done, he got game blue chips and rookie of the year, this was the most enjoyable for me. And I think it's because it was so kooky and goofy that there was so much to pick apart from a realism standpoint. Was this the most favorite that you had?
2: Yeah, I, I think if I, I didn't if I didn't watch it with my kids who were enjoying it, I think I might have felt a little bit different because there were things that like weren't funny anymore. Like I don't remember right, right. like Daniel Stern's pitching coach character was actually annoying. To me. Like he was, totally he was too goofy. Yes. yes, and it was too insane. Like. So, like, that was funny when you were 12, 13, whatever, and it was like my kids were laughing at it. So, like, I think if it was just me, like, sitting on my couch, I, it might have been a little less enjoyable. Um, I also, I just I said this to you recently, like, I I love blue chips. So, like, watching blue chips is always fun for me. So, like, that's like a kind of a wild card in the three for me because that's just so high on my personal list. But, I mean, I still enjoyed Rookie of the Year, but I don't know – that I would ever watch it again or like suggest watching again to the family unless one of them asked for it.
0: We're lucky because we share a lot of the same sense of humor here on the show. Uh, you and I share a very similar sense of humor. And I, I have to say Miraz's though, like a ability to elevate into real frustration and anger <laughs> about these movies, specifically the the manager in this is so Amazing. I mean, he's he's got a genius knack for this because he's really riled up. He just told us in Side A when uh, <laughs> when when uh, Gary Busey's character gets pulled uh, in the uh, the seventh inning, Mraz called up to Danielle. Hey, you got to check this out. Marinella is actually going to um, he's going to get some quality innings out of <laughs> Rowan Gardner in the seventh. It's a great move. Like he's really engaged in this. Which I, I like it. He takes it to a totally different level.
2: Right and part of me is scared by Sean's reactions in these <laughs> situations. like they they shouldn't be his reactions. but like you know this when anyone like an outsider, it's you know whether we, whether we post like a clip from the show or whatever, and then this is how they're meeting Sean. they everyone always wonders like whether he's real or not. and <laughs> right, right. and he's I mean he's real. I don't I kind of part of me wishes that he didn't get upset like this. Cause it seems on one hand to be a really strong waste of energy to be upset about <laughs> a fictional manager taking out a 13 year old kid from a baseball game. But when it, when it leads to him on the air getting that, that high pitched whiny, like patronizing voice.
0: And I mean, it's just, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect because we've all heard that rant. Um, addressed at Aaron Boone or Joe Girardi. Right. And the fact that he's doing this about a guy by the name of Marinella, who is the co- <laughs> <laughs> the manager of the fictional Chicago Cubs in 1993 in a Disney movie, is just epic. I could not stop laughing when he was going that, when Scorched Earth on Marinella. Oh,
2: I mean, really. It, Martinella. Martinella. Yeah, Martinella. What I mean, whatever. And apparently I said on the air that he didn't have a first name, because I looked, because I was, I meant. oh, <laughs> you know what, here's one thing I wanted to mention. So, you know, we were stumped and surprised when you pointed out that, that Henry Rowengardner ends up being the guy in American Pie. The the girl that like I think her name is Becky in the movie that he like is flirting with and wants her attention, she looked yeah. familiar to me. So when I looked up the IMDB page, she ends up being Julie the Cat Gaffney really? in Mighty Ducks two and three. Wow. That's how I recognized her face. But when I went to the page and I'm looking through the whole thing; it just says I don't even know his real name, but it just says Martinella. It doesn't even give him a first name, like in the cast yeah, listing. Yeah, exactly. So I thought he didn't have one, but apparently his name is Sal. His first, according to Belotti, his first name is Sal Martinella or Marinella, whatever whatever it is. But still, he doesn't deserve a first name because so, he's just a <laughs> buffoon through the entire movie. So,
0: what grade do you think that the Rowan Gardner crew is in? Is it seventh or eighth? Well. I I thought at one point they
2: say that he's twelve. I thought for some reason twelve is in my head, which then puts him, depending on when he was born in the year, like around I think sixth or seventh grade.
0: Okay, so let's say sixth or seventh. Was it just me? Maybe you didn't catch this, but uh, talk about Julie the cat, who in this movie is kind of like his uh, his flame, yeah, his love interest. When she's like batting eyelashes at him at the lunch table, and his buddy says. Oh, like you should go out with her. She's hot. She's stacked. Yeah, and I'm like, whoa, that's a little aggressive for like sixth or seventh grade, and it's a Disney movie.
2: Yeah, my son, my son thought that was funny.
0: <laughs> he,
2: he liked that line. He gave a me a little sly look, and then he giggled. Boy, um, yeah, that He's no, got... that was like the one. But I'm, I don't know. Like in sixth grade. There were one girls your... that were stacked, and I'm sure I probably referenced it to a friend. So I wasn't caught too off guard by that.
0: I, wow, you think so, huh? I mean, that's... There ha- there's always,
2: listen, there's always the outlier, right? There's always somebody that grows up way too fast, and it becomes awkward, and then there's the people that are like stragglers, who are like high school, and like, yeah, like me. I need an armpit hair or something here, and I'm in a hurry. <laughs>
0: I like that your son shares your sense of humor because that would be the joke that you would love in sixth grade.
2: Oh yeah, a hundred percent.
0: He's definitely mine. <laughs> well, uh, I have to say that this segment has quickly become one of my favorite segments, and Happy Gilmore. I'm really looking forward to.
2: I can't remember what is it.
0: What is it rated? Uh oh, good question. Is it I PG-13? It's definitely not R. So my guess right. is pg-13 yes my guess
2: i'm trying to figure out again this now going back to your one of your first questions about like the setup here like it is hard for me to find a two-hour window for me to watch a movie by myself and stay awake for
0: right.
2: so i was thinking today, like can i watch can i put this on again in front of other people because i did have he got game on and all of a sudden there's just a lot of cursing <laughs> and i was like whoa all right Dad, dad's going upstairs um so I don't know if Happy Gilmore is made for all audiences. It is PG-13. Right. I mean, I know the there's obviously the famous Bob Barker scene, but I'm trying to think of anything else that would really be yeah, no, completely inappropriate for a kid to watch.
0: You know, out of the three movies that we've seen, the, the thing that's been the most inappropriate is the recruiting visit by Jesus Shuttlesworth. And he got yeah. a game where yeah. he is having sex with multiple women at the same time. And they are showing full on top nudity, right? That is the most aggressive part of any of this. And it's a very violent moment when Denzel Washington kills his wife, by right. Throwing her head against the stove. But um, in terms of nudity or sexual content or cursing, I think you're going to be very fine with Happy Gilmore. And I think moving forward, kind of like going toward the Disney fied sports movies, is probably our best bet.
2: Yeah, although I think there's there's going to be ones along the way where we have to sprinkle. Like we definitely, I mean, hopefully we don't need to do this still in the summer. <laughs> but like if we're if we're inching oh, we towards will. college football, still needing to do this segment i mean i would definitely watch the program again it's been a long since i watched that so i mean i think there is a couple like more serious more dramatic ones that we could definitely pick up every once in a while
0: well football films tend to be a little bit more serious a little bit more dark like if we did um except little giants oh that's a great one yeah we should do little giants yeah and that also has a kind of a disney tinge to it true but angels in the outfield. But I mean, you know, football. Like any given Sunday, or um, what's the one that was a remake from the old seventies? They were prison teams. Uh, the longest yard. Longest yard. Yeah, I mean, those those have some somewhat serious and adult overtones. Yeah, that's true. Well, uh, I enjoyed it very much, um, and uh, I'm glad to hear that everybody is uh, is pairing off uh, when they get sick of one another in the Bogus household.
2: Yeah, we're so, so so far so good. I can't believe it's been basically a month,
0: but uh oh. we're hanging in there. All right, good enough, man. I appreciate the time. Of course, talk to you soon. Okay, Andrew Bogus joining us here on the PGP. Remember to subscribe to the PGP, the show about the show, the show within the show. And also check out on this feed the full DA show episodes every single day and the best of every single day. And Pete the Body Bilotti's WrestleMania preview and recap episodes as well.